you are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is December 7th, 2022. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Bavin, I hope you're recovering from reInvent. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. I know we had a busy, busy week last week. Uh, lots of people at reInvent. I was so glad yeah. that it was back in its full full attendance, I guess, like 50,000 people was still like the normal for reInvent. So I'm, I'm guessing next year we'll hit the 75K mark, but had a lot of fun, like at the show. I know it's a lot of work standing at the booth and talking to people over and over again about the same topics, but I, I like that. That's the best part of my job. So uh, I had a fun time. How about you? Yeah, I, you know, uh, I learned a couple things this year. One mm -hmm. is that uh, reInvent seems huge and there's people everywhere, but CES is like triple the size. Yep. <laughs> never going i think is what i decided to, mm -hmm. to see as soon as i really have to because there's just sensory overload all the time if you're into that thing so be it um and then two uh did you see all the cowboys at the end of the week yeah yeah, yeah. so i learned i learned through my uber driver that there is like this huge rodeo conference mm -hmm. that comes in at the tail end of reinvent uh, so if you were there and were wondering why people were walking around in cowboy boots and cowboy hats like dressed like they were straight from the plane of America, uh, <laughs> they probably were. Yeah. <laughs> was what I was getting at. I was uh, I was noticing that too, and I'm glad my Uber driver explained it to me. I thought mm -hmm. it was just like a, a Vegas thing, like this yeah. people the way they dress to come to Vegas. But hey, you know, there's always something interesting. <laughs> so Vegas that. has a, a busy December, like reinvent with all the tech yeah. folks, rodeos with all the cowboys, and then CES with all all the I don't know mix of both. I guess. Yeah. And well, there's Gartner uh, conference. IOCS this week. week. Yeah, yeah. 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 So <laughs> anyway. Yeah, you know, it was a good show, though. I had a lot of great conversations. Um, uh, I don't love Vegas, but hey, you know, not my thing. Cup of tea. Other people love it, I'm sure. And uh, anyway, so um, we have a really cool topic today. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about uh, DevSecOps, GitOps, and Kubernetes with the folks from GitLab. Uh, we have Cesar uh, Saavedra on the show, um, and we're going to dive in and introduce him just shortly. But before we do that, let's get into our news um since we're just talking about reinvent let's start mm -hmm. there right so some of the news that came out of reinvent uh that's sort of relevant to to our uh, listenership is um the eks container marketplace um uh, sorry I, I should say the container marketplace that now allows for eks add-ons yep. um was announced so if you had you know a specific sort of project that can be added to your EKS cluster, you can easily search for that and basically um, uh, add it, um, whether that's something like, you know, core DNS, cube proxy, cube cost. I saw had mm -hmm. one that come out. There's a bunch of them, right? So um, this is something we are doing with our Kubernetes clusters regardless. We're yep. adding on these features. Um, I know... I know Microkates um, has this, you know, idea of sort of an add-on. You can just like, you know, Microkates enable this. Interesting. You know, okay, thing. I didn't know that. And, and so this reminds me of this in sort of a cloud-based way. Yeah. Um, I really like that concept. Um, so yeah, go check that out. We'll put that link in there. 
The other thing was uh, EFS elastic throughput. You can now basically pay for the performance you want um, is, is how I'd sum it up. <laughs> um, so EFS, I know uh, if you've used it, you know, mixed bag about mm-hmm. I think people's experiences on, you know, what it's used for, how it's used for its performance and things like that. I think this is sort of a response to, hey, we can we can do more. Um, you just have to pay for it, which makes a lot of sense coming from uh, cloud. I'll just say cloud. Yeah. I have to I don't have to pinpoint AWS on this. <laughs> um, and um, you had one here you put here. Uh, yeah. Jeff, so right? uh, uh, I had like I didn't put down like an AWS announcement, although I, I think looking back at, back at it, right, the AWS application composer thing that they announced uh, was really cool. Uh, it was part of Werner's keynote and he used uh, if, if, you have, if you have been to any of the AWS summits or reinvents over the past couple of years, you've seen that coffee booth where it's serverless based coffee. So you just submit a request it shows you how the event driven thing works and it gives you a coffee at the end uh, he showed what the architecture looks like on stage and then how you can now compose that entire application uh, by adding different aws services as components and makes it easy to look at visually and which can be shared between developers things like that so that was really cool something that caught my eye uh, but the announcement that i had in our notes was more around uh trivi uh, the open source project that we usually refer to uh, it can now support scanning your amazon machine images as well so if you have amis that you want to test without actually spinning up instances from those amis to see if the base image or base ami is good trivi can now support that as well so you use the trivi vm command pointed to that AMI ID and it will do the scanning for you. So if you're using AMIs, want to make sure that they are secure, uh, here's a, uh, you can still use an open source tool for it. Awesome. Awesome. Um, cool. I had another one here about multi-cloud and crunchy Postgres. First of all, I know I've used this um, in some demos and I've mm-hmm. worked with crunchy. For, I love the name. Just, I know. Just crunchy. Yeah. It makes me think of snacks and I love yep. snacks. So um, <laughs> kudos to your naming, I guess. It's probably nothing to do with snacks, but um, that's better than I'm cockroach. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we love you too, Cockroach Labs. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but they uh, they do have an article here um, released earlier in November, mm-hmm. but around cl- uh, cross data center streaming uh, yeah. and replication out of the box. So this, this is really around the multi-cloud disaster recovery uh, movement between Postgres clusters between cloud providers. I know a lot of us, you know, worry about, you know, things like, um, you know, AZ failure or, you know, vendor lock-in. Um, I think as we talk about multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, and, and how to support these types of workflows more and more, um, mm-hmm. this is definitely an interesting tech. So go check that out. We really like the project over there at Crunchy Coast, uh, Postgres. And then... Um, Believe it or not, uh, Kubernetes 1.26 is the last release of 2022 that is slated uh, for um, release. So we have a couple links here that mm-hmm. we'll dive into the what's new. Um, we're covering it a little early. It's not actually out yet, right? Yeah, it's not No, it's yet. not, but yeah. I think it's due in a couple of days. I know it yeah. got delayed because of some Go bug, uh, but I know we are recording it on the 7th, but I think it might come out on the 8th or 9th, so like... Almost in a couple of days, yeah. Perfect timing then, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a, a couple of things I wanted to note in the list of uh, many features and, and kind of fixes that are in here is um, uh, the non-graceful node shutdown for stateful set pods is now beta or going mm-hmm. to be beta. Um, so this is all about, you know, the the case where uh, stateful 
applications go down and don't exactly fully terminate. So the, you know, release of the PV and things like that is, you know, can cause yeah. downtime and outages. This, this kind of cleans things up forcefully if you're aware of what's going on. So very useful thing in the sort of stateful and, and persistence world here. Um, the second one is the removal of the entry CSI integration for OpenStack, the Cinder volume type I'm talking about here, uh, which I just, you know, was talking to a couple colleagues about a, a resurgence of OpenStack, if you believe it or not. What? Yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 put the, I'll put the link in here too. But uh, this could be, I don't know, uh, accordance to what's sort of happening with, um, you know, just the the you know macro uh, economics these days. But that's a whole nother podcast. Okay. So, uh, so I've um, successfully avoided the whole OpenStack <laughs> age. So I, I was like a, a VMware guy for years, and then I completely okay. missed OpenStack. And then as soon as Kubernetes came on, I was like, okay, this is I, I can't miss this. So I jumped on it. <laughs> And I was glad that I didn't didn't go through the whole OpenStack pain that it you guys a, did. So it was a great uh, community. It's still a great project. I still love mm -hmm. what it's all about. And uh, it's actually just if you're just into sort of tech and you and if you like Python, I, I was yeah. like a Python developer, so it just made a ton of sense. Anyway, uh, again, a whole other podcast. Um, and then <laughs> you had one listed here um, mm -hmm. as part of Sysdigs uh, announcement, but go ahead. Yeah, so uh, it was another what's new in 1.26, uh, the volume snapshot uh, API that we have in, in our CSI uh, uh, standard. Uh, initially, or before this release, uh, if you wanted to create a new volume from a snapshot, it had to be in the same namespace. But now with 1.26, as an alpha feature, you can take a snapshot that's running in a different namespace on the same cluster and create a new volume in a completely different namespace as well. So cross namespace volume creation from a snapshot is now going to be an alpha feature. That was just a quick heads up that applied to the storage ecosystem. Great. And then uh, a couple of uh, graduations for CNCF. So I, I really had to go back and because both of these blogs uh, have different titles, like Argo has graduated and Flux has graduated from the CNCF incubator. I was like, do they mean the same thing? So I had to like go and <laughs> check the different phases that CNCF has. But yes, both of these projects that are around the GitOps and the topic that, that we have for today have now graduated from being a CNCF incubator project to a CNCF graduated project, which I think brings the list to like 19 different projects that CNCF okay. maintains now in the graduated state. Uh, I know both of these projects are super popular. Uh, Argo has been used or is actively used in production by over like 350 organizations. When I looked at that blog post and then Flux, for example, has had like a 400% growth in the last 12 months. So this is a really important topic for people in 2022. And I'm pretty sure that trend is just going to continue and grow in 2023. That leads us perfectly. Uh, mm -hmm. Well done. Into our topic <laughs> As today. if we planned this, right? <laughs> As if we planned it, Robin. Um, uh, around, uh, again, DevSecOps, GitOps, yeah. Kubernetes. Uh, and we're going to talk with uh, Cesar uh, Saavedra, uh, mm -hmm. who's a senior technical marketing manager at GitLab and an expert in his field. So um, actually, without further ado, let's get him on the show. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right. Well, welcome to Kubernetes Bytes. It's so glad to have you here. Um, you know, I know we're excited for this today's conversations. <laughs> Why don't you give uh, our, our listeners a brief introduction of who you are and, and what you do? 
Hello, uh, Ryan. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, my name is Cesar Saavedra, and I'm a Senior Technical Marketing Manager with GitLab. And uh, my focus areas are uh, CD and GitOps. And I do a little bit of Dora uh, metrics as well. Awesome. Yeah, great to have you. I, I know like Ryan and I did a GitOps 101 episode and that has by far being, uh, has been our most popular episode. So this, like we had to get an expert on <laughs> to like dive into more details. So I, I'm like, we're so glad to have you on the show, Cesar. Uh, Thank you, Babin. It's a yeah. pleasure to be here. I think so. My, I'll start off with the questions, right? Uh, so GitLab, the first thing that comes to my mind is CICD. Uh, so can we start by there, give us a, a thousand foot overview of what a CICD pipeline is, how it works. And then if I'm a developer listening to this, right, who's still starting new, uh, how do I get code that I'm writing on my ID on my laptop into a production cluster running in Kubernetes? So like talk about the entire workflow, maybe. Very good. Yes. Yes. We are known for SCM and CICD. I think those are the mm -hmm. top areas. Uh, mm -hmm. However, we describe ourselves as a comprehensive uh, software innovation platform. Um, you know, we provide all the essential uh, DevOps tools uh, in one single platform. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can go from, uh, you know, idea to production and uh, with within GitLab. And uh, basically, we help teams improve, uh, you know, things like cycle time. Uh, we have many uh, stories of customers that have gone from weeks to minutes by adopting GitLab. We reduce, uh, you know, development costs, uh, speed time to market, and also deliver uh, more secure and compliant applications. Uh, in addition to that, um, because we're, we're a single platform, mm -hmm. uh, we provide a single data model uh, also with a single UI, all in a single application. And not only does this help developers become uh, more productive, but it also allows us to uh, correlate data because all the data that we collect end-to-end -end through the DevOps lifecycle, we're able to correlate it and surface uh, insights of the entire uh, lifecycle and put that uh, in the fingertips of our users in the form of dashboards, for example. I'm not sure if you heard of Dora metrics or value streams analytics, uh, we can provide those um, in dashboards. And, and we can do that easily because everything is in the same data model. Mm -hmm. So uh, the second part of your question was, how do I get um, you know, my code from the moment I'm writing all the way to a Kubernetes cluster? So I think it's, it's, um, it's a good uh, um, moment to talk about what the GitLab flow is. Mm -hmm. Sure. So uh, yeah, so GitLab flow um, basically creates a, a seamless um, approach to software development by integrating uh, a Git workflow with an issue tracking system is really a, a more uh, or a simpler alternative uh, to Git flow. Um, and it combines um, what we call a feature driven development and feature branches with issue tracking. Uh, within uh, GitLab flow, uh, all features and fixes go to the main branch while enabling production and stable branches. Mm -hmm. uh, it includes also a set of best practices and also guidelines to ensure software development teams uh, follow a smooth process to ship uh, features, uh, you know, collaboratively. So, how does how does Git uh, GitLab uh, flow work? Mm -hmm. So, um, so for example, with Git with Git flow, we just talk about Git flow. Developers create a, a develop branch, and then they make that the default. Uh, whereas with GitLab flow, uh, you know, it works with the main branch right away. 
So uh, GitLab Flow incorporates a uh, pre-production branch uh, to make bug fixes, for example, before merging uh, uh, those changes back to the main uh, branch mm -hmm. and before going to production. Uh, you know, teams uh, can add as many uh, pre-production branches as needed. Uh, for example, you can go from main to test or from test to acceptance or from accept acceptance to production. And, um, you know, you can, your teams can practice uh, what we call feature branching mm -hmm. uh, while also maintaining a separate production branch. Uh, so whenever you, for example, see the main branch um, uh, is ready to be deployed, uh, users um, can merge into it. Uh, in, I'm sorry, into the production uh, branch and also release. Uh, so let's see, what else can I cover about GitLab Flow? Um, it's, it's often used uh, with release branches. Uh, so for example, um, if a team uh, requires a public API that may need uh, to maintain uh, different versions for it, mm -hmm. uh, with GitLab Flow, uh, the team, uh, team can make a version one branch and a version two branch. Uh, and the, those two can be maintained individually or separately, uh, which can be helpful if the team identifies a bug, for example, during code reviews, and then uh, you know that goes back to version one. So there are many benefits uh, when you're using GitLab Flow. Um, you know, it, it offers it offers a simple, transparent uh, way to work with Git, and also using uh, GitLab Flow, uh, developers can collaborate. Um, and maintain several versions of the software in different environments. Uh, it also decreases the overhead of releasing things like tagging and merging, which is a common challenge, uh, you know, encounter with other types of Git uh, workflows. And uh, and uh, and all in all, it creates an easier way to deploy code. Got it. Got um, it. Yeah, I think overall, I mean, from a developer standpoint, it sounds like there's a, a lot that goes into it when you're, you know, either doing bug fixes or developing new features. And, um, you know, overall sounds like GitFlow enables sort of, you know, the, the ease of use in this aspect, right? So if you're uh, a developer working on a project that's ultimately looking to get your code into Kubernetes or an application that's running in Kubernetes, a lot of the tools, I know we'll talk a little bit about sort of the integrations with Kubernetes in a little bit, yep. um, but overall sort of being able to go through, you know, creation of new code to being able to do that in a feature branch or in a bug fix and do that mm -hmm. in, a, in a proper way through that CICD pipeline to get that in Kubernetes. sounds like GitFlow and, and overall GitLab enables a lot of that, you know, um, in an automated fashion. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So uh, there is a good depiction. Uh, if you search or if you Google for the term GitLab Flow, you will see a nice uh, picture of what it what it consists. You know, an example of what it is, and it all starts with creating an issue, which is basically the description of a problem. And now we're talking about the CI portion of the pipeline, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so once you create the merge request, which is where actually the main collaboration takes place among the different stakeholders. Uh, then as soon as you commit the changes, then a pipeline is, is uh, fired, up, fired up. Mm -hmm. And then the CI steps take place. And uh, whether it's security scans, um, you know, if you want to run, you know, things like dependency scanning or um, code quality scans and things like that, they, they are run there automatically. And then we also have the option of what we call review apps and review apps within GitLab is a feature that that basically um, when you're running Kubernetes in this case, 
GitLab will spin up an ephemeral environment for you. Okay. It'll be the review environment. Hmm. And then it'll deploy, it'll build and deploy uh, the, the, the application that is in the feature branch to, the, to this environment. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, uh, you have a running application with the, with the changes that, that have not been merged yet. And it, it, you know, that writing application can be accessed by, by all the stakeholders. And that's where a lot of the collaboration takes place again. They can review the app, discuss among, among them, themselves, and then do that iter iteratively uh, within the uh, MR, uh, the merge request. Mm -hmm. Also, the results of the, the, the review pipeline, um, as well as all the jobs and steps that take place, and the output that they generate is... Um, are displayed in a widget inside the merge request, so all the information is easily accessible within a with the same location which within within the MR. So that if there's a conversation going on, they can refer all the way down to the code or the, even the, a line in the code. Or or if you run a test and it uh, gen generated errors, then th that output will be also part of the MR, so you can discuss that all in the single place. Okay. I think one thing that I picked up from your answer was that as part of the review process, GitLab will automatically develop or deploy uh, ephemeral Kubernetes clusters. Uh, are like How much pre-work is required, right? Do I just give it my AWS credentials, for example, and it will spin up an EKS cluster to test it with? Or does it need pre-created or pre-deployed Kubernetes clusters that it will use for this review phase? When I described review applications and, mm -hmm. and uh, how the ephemeral environment is brought up, mm -hmm. the assumption is that there's a connection to Kubernetes already, mm -hmm. okay. right? Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, what that's what you're asking. Yep. So um, before I jump into that, I'll, I'll tell you that once the review is finished and the merge happens, all that, all those artifacts and resources that have been created in Kubernetes are cleaned up for you automatically by GitLab. Okay. And another pipeline is, uh, the merge pipeline is then run. So, uh, so how do you uh, connect from GitLab to, to a Kubernetes cluster? So that's, um, we can talk about now the, um, the GitLab agent for Kubernetes, which is the approach that we use for securely connecting a GitLab instance to a Kubernetes cluster. Now the agent supports uh, vanilla Kubernetes, all the major um, distributions of Kubernetes, EKS, AKS, GKE, OpenShift, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And the way you um, the way you connect to it is you you would do it first. You go into the GitLab UI, you go into the Kubernetes um, menu option, Kubernetes clusters, and then you would create. Um, well, that's at the moment. This is where you will connect it. Uh, before you do that, you need to within Git uh, GitLab you need to create a configuration for the agent. Okay. So that's basically a manifest file. Mm -hmm. that uh, it has a specific syntax, it's all in the documentation, but basically you are uh, putting in that manifest file things like the ID of the agent. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you can set up a lot of properties, like you know what kind of uh, level of, uh, of logging you want, uh, where um, in, the, in the specific case of GitOps, there is a, um, there's a location uh, where you have to specify a specific directory, for example, that uh, that basically you're telling the agent, I want you to observe that directory, and if any uh, manifests are dropped in there, uh, you need to take action on them. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you want to uh, create an nginx uh, instance or a pod, 
then you would drop an nginx yaml file there and then the agent which is running is an in cluster agent it's observing that file it's observing that directory and it sees that file and then at that moment it will go ahead and uh, instantiate a pod in the cluster uh creating that nginx instance this is yeah this, so this tool um this GitOps agent i want to take a step back just briefly and, and maybe for our listeners that might be asking like what is GitOps in general and, and what's the importance to kubernetes maybe we can talk about sort of the overall concept of GitOps. maybe some of the differences i know there's a couple different approaches um that we discussed in the past which is push and pull you want to dive into that a little bit and and i think that'll help the context a little bit so in the past um, you know, the, I don't know if you heard of the terms click ops or script ops. You know, you, nice. you yeah. basically have a, a bunch of scripts that would configure your your uh, different infrastructure components, whether it's a router, a load balancer, or a server, or whatnot. Or click ops, meaning that you know every vendor, every every infrastructure vendor would have its own UI for you to uh, basically configure that specific. Um, you know, component in your data center, whether it's an, a load balancer or anything else, or a, or a, a rack of CPUs, for example, mm -hmm. or of servers. So that was one of the pains because it's uh, that GitHub solves because you know that process is is manual, is slow, and it's also stored in the operator's or administrator's machine. Mm -hmm. So it's not easy. You know, it, first of all, it's not something that you can easily share or other or others to leverage or use. Uh, so that knowledge is basically stored in that person's head, right? Sure. Yep. So, um, so now at the same time, um, you know, Git has become the you know SCM tool most used by developers, and if it's uh, very well with the twelve-factor app methodology, for example, for building software as a service apps, things like microservices and agile development methodologies. In addition, DevOps is now being used more and more by organizations. As a highly collaborative, you know, cross-discipline approach that focuses on the optimization of value delivery, cost and risk, uh, etc. And and um, you know, DevOps offers the promise of improved speed of development uh, yeah. by embracing this collaboration, okay. and you know, and tears down the the traditional silos of the between development and operation teams. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so we have Git, uh, we have, you know, the concept of click ops and script ops, and uh, we have DevOps and, and all, and the, and the last component, uh, is that came into this, uh, you know, into the market and, and into organization is a very important component called Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. you now has, has taken over the market as a container orchestration technology of choice for developing cloud native applications. So, um, you know, just as DevOps is effective at, at improving speed of development, GitOps is the application of DevOps best practices and principles to the automation and management of infrastructure, right? So you can think of GitOps as a step in the evolution of DevOps, right? So right. how can we apply what developers have gotten so well at doing in DevOps? How can we apply those concepts and those best practices because we still need to do the same thing, but now, you know, uh, for operations, right? Mm -hmm. And DevOps got the developers super productive, productive. They were able to do things much faster than before, but then now we have to do the same thing with the operations teams, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where GitOps comes in. Uh, now, when we talk about the best practices that are transferable or apl applicable 
to um, to operations is uh, or you know that are applicable to the GitOps uh, concept that, that we're discussing. Number one is codification. So this is the idea of having your infrastructure components uh, defined or configured in in code, mm-hmm. right? In a file, basically. Yeah, um, like treating it as that single source of truth, right? Like right. this is where everything is stored. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is basically is declarative code that describes the, the desired state of that infrastructure component. It's stored in Git, as you mentioned, uh, Bavin. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see, the second thing is collaboration, right? So in the collaboration, as I mentioned before, is in the form of merge requests or other tools call it pull requests, mm-hmm. and they are the gate of these changes. And, and then you have the concept of you know your main branch, which is your product branch, and then you have also the concepts of you know reviewing that and collaborating among different people, mm-hmm. and also approving changes to infrastructure. So that's the co- collaboration component. And the last thing is automation. Yeah. So you have to have the uh, the con- uh, you have to be able to support the you know rec- rec- uh, reconciliation loop. And that's the concept uh, by which, you know, when someone, um, you know, logs into a Kubernetes cluster directly and makes a change. Right now, you've changed the configuration on the cl- uh, of that cluster and it, that it may not match its configuration in Git. So now you have to reconcile that. You have to first detect it and then reconcile it. Mm-hmm. So you need to, you can, and that needs to be automated. Uh, also, when the infrastructure uh, infrastructure is um, out of sync, that means when somebody updates Git with a new uh, a change to an co- infrastructure component, there needs to be an, uh, an update uh, immediately mm-hmm. on the infrastructure, and the, all that needs to be automated. So you know, so again, codification, collaboration, and automation. Uh, and, and also in, uh, above or on top of all, uh, a cross-cutting concern, I should say, is, uh, you know, you also need observability and security, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in, in order for those changes to be made, actually, in, on the infrastructure on Kubernetes, right, uh, this concept of of sort of pushing that change versus oh, right. an agent pulling. I know, um, you know, that was sort of uh, covered briefly there, but maybe go right. into maybe how that works a little bit. Very good. Yes. Uh, that was the second part of what I said I was going to say. And then I, <laughs> I didn't worry. say it. All right. So, uh, okay. So let's discuss pull-based and push-based approaches. So I mentioned an in-cluster agent. So the GitLab agent for Kubernetes is a lightweight agent that you deploy uh, to your cluster. Now, the way you configure that, I, I mentioned earlier a configuration file or a manifest that you have to create that basically, you know, in, in which you have to spell out the configuration of the agent, including its name. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you do through the GitLab UI is you basically go into the Kubernetes clusters um, window and then uh, you um, select that uh, agent that you have for which you have a configuration file is a pop-down menu, and then when you select that, you will get um, a pop-up a pop-up with all the with a command that you need to run uh, on a terminal window, and the command uh, uses a, a secret a token that will allow you to run that secu- uh, basically load that and install it on your cluster securely, mm-hmm. and when you run that command. 
it starts up the pod and it also connects uh, your GitLab instance to that Kubernetes cluster. So that's how that um, com- those two are connected securely. Mm-hmm. Now the in uh, the in agent um, the in cluster agent um, can communicate uh, via gRPC or web secure web sockets. That's what uh, okay. we support so far. And the agent, uh, there's a component in the cluster, and there's another component in, in GitLab called CAS, K-A-S. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's a service. Think of it as a service. And that service is uh, constantly communicating with the in-cluster agent. And so when there's a change in Git, for example, and, and remember I mentioned that the directory where, where the, the, the agent is observing? Yep. So if you, let's say you drop or you make a change to a YAML file there, uh, the th- that uh, GitLab instance service will inform the uh, in cluster agent about mm-hmm. it, and then the in cluster agent will bring the changes up and install them or update the cluster accordingly. So that's how the changes uh, happen. Also, the in cluster agent um, can detect drift and bring the uh, cluster configuration up to date to what is supposed to be in Git. Now the agent supports, so that's what we call pool because the agent is actually pooling as changes happen on in Git. The agent is observing them, observing these uh, this directory. Any changes that happen there, the agent is bringing them over and updating the cluster accordingly. It's pooling from Git. Think of it of it as pooling right, from okay. Git over to the cluster. Yep. Now, also the agent allows you to access the cluster securely from inside a pipeline. So imagine you have have a pipeline with stages and jobs. And when you run a job, you have the option of uh, having a script section in the job or script uh, lines that you can execute. And in that script section, you can actually use kubectl commands to access that specific uh, cluster that you're connected to. Now, when you're accessing that cluster from the CI/CD pipeline, pipeline, you're basically you, you you have the option of pushing pushing changes from the CI/CD pipeline to right, the okay. cluster. So that's uh, so the concept of push based approach to mm-hmm. GitOps is the concept of pushing updates um, from a pipeline to the cluster. Now, and uh, and the agent supports both. Okay. Yep. But but uh, one thing I want to say, uh, I know this is uh, Kubernetes uh, podcast, but one thing I want to say also is that this push-based approach works also without the agent. So let's say you don't have Kubernetes. Okay. Right? Then you can use the push-based approach to update or keep your infrastructure in sync with whatever is in Git. Makes sense. Okay. I mean, yes, this is a Kubernetes podcast, but I think a lot of us, you know, who are practitioners or are in this sort of market understand that, you know, our our infrastructure is going to be a mixed bag of, of both containers and Kubernetes and VMs. Like, those things aren't going anywhere. So uh, <laughs> right. that's fair game. Don't worry about it. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay so uh, this is our one question, right? I think uh, I, I love the drift prevention or drift detection feature, but mm-hmm. I also wanted to bring in the security angle. Like how do we, uh, like how are you recommending or, or guiding customers on their route of moving or shifting left? And uh, I know we spoke about DevOps and GitOps and ScriptOps, but we also have a new term, right? DevSecOps. Like how do we help organizations move towards more secure application development uh, lifecycle than just making sure that their changes are getting pushed. So can we talk about or bring in the security angle as well? Yes, for sure. So 
So we've GitLab supports a variety of security scanners um, out of the box that uh, you as a developer can leverage. Um, and the idea is that you want to uh, run tests as early as possible in the development lifecycle, because as you know, it's better to catch a, an issue while you're developing the code than catching it in production, mm -hmm. right? Because then you may, you may actually have an unforeseen uh, outage. And uh, which is definitely not a good thing for your uh, customers mm -hmm. and for the business. So that's the idea of shifting left. If you heard of that term, uh, you want to you know fail fast and move all your security as far left as possible in your CI in your CI/CD pipeline. Yep. Um, so uh, we have a scanners, as I mentioned before. Um, we have SAST and DAS scanners, uh, so static application security. And okay. dynamic application security, we support a bunch of different languages and frameworks. To, to get a list of everything that we support, uh, it's only the documentation. But just to give you some examples uh, of the things that we support, uh, and let me find here my notes here. Okay, so for example, uh, we support the, a generic test for your unit tests mm -hmm. um, that uh, you know will basically run all the unit tests in your code and and it'll uh, save the output of that and append it to the MR. So you can see the output of the tests yeah. right in the MR. Okay. We support another one, uh, another scanner for code quality. Uh, that's, uh, you know, basically doing code checks uh, on the code of your project. Uh, we support uh, things like secret detection. Uh, it detects credential and secret That's exposure. an important one, yep. <laughs> yeah. We support dependency scanning. This is when uh, the one that analyzes, uh, you know, for project dependencies and security issues. We support license compliance scanners, which basically scans the license uh, dependencies to see if they are incompatible or compatible mm -hmm. with a set policy. We support um, auto con uh, container scanning for, uh, and this identifies security issues in your containers. Uh, review apps, which I mentioned uh, before, the ability to you know bring up uh, you know GitLab will bring up an, an yep. ephemeral environment, deploy the application, you can test it with the stakeholders and collaborate and, and fix any issues. Uh, we support dynamic application security testing. We support browser uh, performance testing that measures the browser performance of a web page, for example. We even support code intelligence. Um, you know, this is a, a co-navigation features common in uh, to interactive uh, development environments and you know, IDEs. Now, when it comes to um, uh, runtime and, and or infrastructure specifically, uh, we support operational container scanning, which is basically uh, that scanner scans container images in your mm -hmm. cluster, security vulnerabilities. We support infrastructure as code scanning which scans all, you know, your IAC or infrastructure as code configuration files for known vulnerabilities. This is, you know, we support uh, Terraform, Ansible, AWS CloudFormation, Kubernetes. Wow. Okay. So a uh, quick question, right? I know this is a long list, but uh, for all of these different kinds of scanning, like I know you said container scanning and image scanning, do you work, like, is all of this functionality built into GitLab or do you integrate with open source projects like, an Aquasec Trivi or uh, an Armor Cubescape, I guess, Armor Cubescape or those projects out there in the ecosystem. Right. So we include uh, everything I mentioned 
mm-hmm. comes with GitLab. Now, everything we do in GitLab is open source, including GitLab itself. Okay. And um, But we do leverage open source projects for some of these. Um, I mean, I can, uh, JUnit is one of them, for example, for unit testing. Okay. Uh, if you have JUnit, you can use that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for each of them, uh, we use different open source projects. Um, that okay, you can, that's good to know. I, that's why, like, I, this is just, this was uh, like a long list. I was like, okay, let me just ask this, right? This right, right, is right. everything in GitLab or integrations. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for answering that. Yeah. yeah. Makes and sense. you can so even can... create your own scanner if you want to. Go ahead. Oh, Go ahead. nice. Yeah, that, that's a whole nother level, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but probably useful, right? If you have a very specific use case. And yeah. we can definitely point folks, you know, who are listening at, you know, where to find this information, where to create your own, where, you know, all those that are included as well. So, I, you know, I want to, I want to, kind of go back to, um, you know, the concept of DevSecOps, because I feel like, you know, just there, we talked about the concept of, you know, the CICD pipelines, the the testing, the sort of integration with Kubernetes. But it sounds like to me, generally, it, the idea is kind of, you know, like we said, shifting left, but also getting these conversations and sort of awareness, the observability of the output of these scans kind of built into the MRs, like you said, mm-hmm. um, you know, visible for the developer is is sort of what I'm seeing is that we're, we're making this security information uh, based on the automation approaches available for the developer to start to be aware of sort of the outcomes of you know, essentially their actions, their, their, the code they're writing, right? Uh, is that a, a, a decent way of explaining kind of what, what this observability and kind of visibility of, of security into dev is sort of like? Right. So the, the, the main, if, if you can think, I mean, if we think about the main difference between DevOps and DevSecOps is that DevOps, you know, brings dev and ops together, but it, it kind of in, in, implicitly, um, mentions or describes uh, security, Um, whereas DevSecOps explicitly introduces security to the DevOps processes, right? So there is that slight difference there. And and to achieve this, um, you know, the goal of DevSecOps is, you know, to reduce security risk, right? Principally for software and in, in this case, infrastructure. And, and what really matters, you know, from a security st- standpoint and, and also provide automated ways to fix those issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, besides detecting a vulnerability, I mean, GitLab provides recommendations on how to fix it and even training. You know, if you have a training, um, you know, software of your choice that, you know, shows you how to fix specific things, you can even link that to GitLab. Makes sense. Now, I'm curious with your sort of experience in this field, um, do you find that there's a lot of organizations who have adopted DevOps practices with things like GitOps and then are sort of now thinking about how to embed security? Or do you do you find that people are thinking from, you know, the get go um, how to involve security when they're sort of taking that DevOps journey? <clears throat> so. From my experience, uh, I mean, security, if you look at all the surveys that go back all the way to, I don't know, even I would say even 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, surveys that, you know, uh, for C-level people, sure, uh, security always comes out as number one or number two mm-hmm. concerns or areas of interest. However, um, when it comes to development, it's always been um, 
sort of an afterthought because developers mm-hmm. are really asked to deliver new functionality, right, and fixes. Right. Mm-hmm. So security con- kind of always came towards the end, and um, as an afterthought, I should say. Yep. And uh, so DevSecOps tries to correct correct that. This shifting left tries to correct that. Um, but from experience, again, I think um, organizations are still are still uh, you know working on that. Uh, I don't think um, you know the majority of organizations are running. Uh, security tests uh, or shifting left security testing. Um, you know, I, I you know, I, I don't want to guess on a percentage, but uh, yeah, no worries. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it's still happening, and I think it's something that uh, you know, you know, this concept of DevSecOps is trying to address. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, Bob and I through doing the show and also, you know, being at shows all through 2022, since we're sort of getting towards the end here, um, we've definitely seen security be sort of, um, like you said, the, one of the top concerns um, with, you know, in general, I think not only in the Kubernetes community, but um, highly, you know, um, of importance in the cloud native community, which is, which is great, I think. And if we're going to, you know, adopt new uh, practices. I'm glad it's security, to be honest, right? So right, right. Um, let's let's all be fair. All, all of our data is out yeah. there, and uh, something or other is going to be running on Kubernetes that we're interacting with. Cool. So actually, since we're talking about sort of your experience in the field and sort of working with um, certain organizations, do you have any uh, sort of customer examples? You know, we don't have to name names, but you know, big right. or small, how they've implemented um, either. DevOps, DevSecOps, GitOps, and, and sort of talk about that experience maybe in, in an example. Yes, for sure. Um, the uh, b- But before I describe that, uh, you know, I'd like to say one more thing about, sure, uh, yeah. you know, including security in, into the pipeline. The, sure. I mean, the idea of DevSecOps is also to automate all this so that when you're a developer, um, you know, security is being taken care of, but it's almost, uh, it's getting out of your way. Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that you can focus on innovating, and uh, and GitLab provides some mechanisms to do that. Besides, uh, you know, all the scanners that I mentioned and the different mm-hmm. types of security testing that I mentioned. Uh, for example, in the form of compliance frameworks and pipelines, so you can create a a framework. For example, you want uh, specific scans to be run for every project within your uh, group. You can set up a framework, and then you can set up a pipeline that will be run. All, will always be run and it needs to pass uh, before the pipeline for that specific project runs. Mm-hmm. So, okay. right. So, so, so you can have a, you know, a security team that is designing that and creating that, not the developers. Right. And then when the developers run their pipelines behind the scenes, there's this compliance pipeline running for them. Uh, also you can, you know, you can use, uh, you know, we have the deployment approvals now so that you can determine if you need extra approvals uh, from the security team, for example, to be able to deploy to production, then you can have that set up so that, uh, you know, someone from the security team will, will have to approve something, uh, before it goes to production. And also we have policies related to scan execution and scan results. All right. So, uh, let's move on to your question, which is examples of customers mm-hmm. that are using uh, DevSecOps and GitOps specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I won't mention the names because I'm not sure if they are public or not. That's fine. Yeah. They may be public. But, um, <laughs> so, um, so there is this company 
that develops innovative software technologies uh, focused uh, on microservices and cloud native development. Okay. And their pains or drivers uh, to move on to GitOps um, was, uh, you know, they were pushing Kubernetes cluster definitions manually, right? And they were just becoming more and more cumbersome. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were um, they were doing direct updates to Kubernetes clusters, and sometimes it would cause unexpected changes uh, to the application behavior, and they would have to roll back uh, whatever you know changes they had applied to the cluster. Uh, also, they they needed to use uh, multiple clouds, mm-hmm. and uh, and the problem was that they had to configure each separately, right? Which became uh, you know complex, uh, more complex uh, to add to the complexity. So what they ended, ended up doing was they implemented both the push and pull based appro- approaches to GitOps. Uh, they are, um, they actually un- use the, I remember I mentioned the infrastructure as code scanning. Yep. They're using that and um, and they, they provide the scan results in the MR so that stakeholders can see those. Uh, they use our integration with Terraform. They, they use Terraform uh, mm-hmm. to install the Graf- their Grafana stack uh, on their clusters, which is made up of uh, Prometheus, Loki, and Grafana, and also Jaeger for tracing. Uh, they're also um, uh, using um, this integration f- uh, for creating, uh, you know, GKE, AKS, and EK, uh, AKS and EKS mm-hmm. Kubernetes clusters. Nice. Uh, from their pipelines, uh, as well as using Helm. And besides GitOps, uh, they use uh, GitLab for documentation, running static pages, as well as GitLab, uh, the GitLab built-in registries for container and Docker images, NPM and Terraform modules. You can store your Terraform modules within uh, within GitLab, as well as your um, your Docker and container images. Wow, I can't imagine without all of the tooling that we discussed in this episode, <laughs> how complicated that all of that work would have been. <laughs> exactly. So the results that they saw, uh, you know, at the end, you know, some of the benefits that they saw, it, you know, it, uh, this whole uh, solution, it helped uh, onboard new developers uh, faster mm-hmm. uh, so that they could start, uh, you know, to get to work and innovating faster. Uh, hence, they improve the, the satisfaction, uh, developer satisfaction. They improve the auditability of changes because yep. everything that was captured yep. in version control, in, you know, in, obviously for, of not just uh, the application but also the infrastructure. And uh, they also significantly improve uh, the development uh, efficiency across the organization uh, as they're you know they're now there is more sharing of reusable code between projects. Uh, so why did they pick GitLab and and, and nobody else? Um, so this is the feedback that we got from them. Uh, they chose uh, GitLab because it's a single platform for application and infrastructure automation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that GitLab supports uh, multiple clouds, uh, the fact that we support uh, supported Go, which is one of the many languages that we support, and uh, the fact that we are open source and we're not proprietary. Yep. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
Yeah, I, I want to ask one question. I will. I, I make one comment at least based on uh, that, which is you know you mentioned the concept of manual changes to infrastructure, um, and I feel like you know when when digging into GitOps, this is definitely one of those um, you know un. Uh, sort of freebies, I feel like that comes when you're using GitOps mm-hmm. um, that not a lot of people recognize as a security thing, which is, you know, wh- when you adopt GitOps, whether it's push or pull, um, you know, uh, ideally in a Kubernetes environment, I, I like the idea of pull, but, um, you know, someone who might have admin permissions, right, who maybe is used to going in and making like a, a change to a YAML file or an actual node or something like that, you know, those changes may really cause a lot of issues. And with GitOps, like you, it actually gets reverted, right? I know. Um, I like that we yeah. have, uh, GitLab has that drift detection. I was like, nope, you yeah. can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I would I would classify that almost as a security uh, feature as well. I don't know about you, Cesar, if, if it kind of comes up in that manner. No, no, well. for sure. Um, so you mentioned that you prefer the pool-based, uh, which is that ag- that's the agent base, right? The, the in-cluster agent um, mm-hmm. that is bringing changes from Git. Uh, I was thinking, while you were talking about that, I was thinking... Um, uh, you know, the, the the agent also supports the push base, right? When you are pushing changes from the pipeline. And um, if you want to refine the, 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 the security of who can run what from the pipeline to the cluster, uh, GitLab allows you to impersonate, uh, you know, service accounts, for example, that you may have created on your cluster. Right. And uh, for whom you may have just given, you know, minor access to some resources in your, in your cluster. And when GitLab impersonates that person then or service account, you can only do whatever you decided to give ah, that person the permission. So makes sense. Okay. So it's pretty granular. Um, yeah, that is that is super nice. I mean, so um, you know, I, I don't think we're going to go into those other two use cases just okay. because of you know the time we're we're at here. But I think we've covered a lot of ground mm-hmm. uh, today and and really focused on sort of the benefits of of DevOps and GitOps and and DevSecOps. I know it feels like it flew by, but <laughs> I think we have a lot in here. <laughs> it did, yeah. um, um, but I think what we want to end with is for those who are listening who might be wondering where they can find out more or get started using these types of methodologies, right? Where, where do they actually go uh, to, to kind of find more information out? So there's, um, uh, this, this is uh, the documentation. Number mm-hmm. one, uh, all of this is documented. Uh, number two, there is, um, if you go to our YouTube channel, there, there's a GitLab YouTube channel. There's, there are tons of videos there, but I would uh, recommend going to, if you're the, the technical type person, um, go to a playlist called um, Snapshots, GitLab okay. Snapshots. And those are snippets, technical snippets of different things that you can do with GitLab for like CI, CI CD, GitOps, uh, you know, SCM, plan, et cetera. So, um, and if you have any ideas of, for more videos, please let me know. Um uh, you know, shoot me a message, uh, or you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn, uh, and we'll create um, a new video, short video about whatever topic uh, you would like to see. Uh, the third thing is uh, there's also GitLab Learn. Uh, there is a few uh, learning paths in there. You can go and um, you know learn how to use different areas or different aspects of GitLab. And, uh, and and the blog site, uh, the GitLab blog site, you can actually do a search and find, if you search for GitOps, you will find a, a big assortment of uh, technical 
uh, and non-technical blog posts about uh, you know how to do GitOps with GitLab. Makes sense. Makes mm-hmm. sense. Well, um, I will make sure we include all that information uh, and the links that will take folks mm-hmm. to those uh, areas, as well as your uh, Twitter handle. Actually, why don't you say it um, for folks? It's, well. uh, yeah, so my Twitter handle uh, is Cesar, that's C-E-S-A-R underscore. Uh, my last name is Saavedra without the A at the end. So my last name is S as in Sam, A-A. V S and Victor, E, D S and David, R, and that's it. Got There's it. There's just R at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and in case you didn't get <laughs> that, we will put it in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> <All> right, <man. laughs> no worries. Well, Cesar, it's been, I think, uh, a great uh, conversation around the concept of, of GitOps and DevOps and, and what GitLab is up to, what you are personally up to. I know I learned a lot today. Um, so, you know, thanks for coming on the show and, and maybe we could oh. do it again in the future. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. I remember uh, we released on the 22nd day of every month. So we're constantly putting out features, new features to uh, in the hands of our uh, community and customers. So and also you can check the direction page for all of the fee- uh, basically all the areas of the product. That's all public information. One of, mm-hmm. one of our values is transparency. So pretty much everything is public. So if you want to see where we're going with GitOps and DevSecOps, feel free to go to our uh, directions page. Gotcha. That's a good date to remember. 22nd, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. Every 22nd, (laughs) we put out a new release. (laughs) Love it. All right, Cesar. Well, uh, uh, take care. You too. Thank you so much for the invite. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah. That's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, Bobbin, I think that was a very uh, enlightening conversation. I know I say that a lot in, in many episodes, but you know, I really enjoyed our conversation with uh, Cesar. He's clearly an expert in what he does and sort of how he works with customers. But uh, you know, let's go into our takeaways. What did you think about it? Yeah, it was a great episode, right? I know we ran uh, a bit longer than we had anticipated, but that's what happens when you're having fun or you're talking about interesting topics. Uh, I think the three key takeaways that I got from the discussion with Cesar was uh, the benefits of GitOps to operators specifically. So codification, collaboration and automation. I think that's a good way to put it in, in just a, a three keyword way of describing what the benefits are. Um, it, it enables you to treat uh, Git as that single source of truth enables more collaboration because everybody knows what's going on and then automation is because of the push and pull methodologies and the things that we spoke about in the actual episode how it enables continuous deployment as well uh, I really like a couple of GitLab specific features I know we have been talking about GitOps as an overall trend the ephemeral clusters that it uses to uh, test your code as part of the build pipelines or as part of the CI pipelines that was really cool and then the drift detection right like with the agents that you have running on your Kubernetes cluster it's always helpful that uh, you notify or generate an alert when somebody uh, we, we can just blame an administrator who, who wants to go in and make manual changes uh, to your deployment objects or to your Kubernetes objects that are running on your cluster so GitLab will obviously generate an alert and actually fix it for you so that that's a good thing to know when what you're trying to do is GitOps where you don't make any manual changes so those were my three key takeaways 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, the, the one I'm going to kind of hone in on is that idea of shifting left, right? Mm-hmm. Along the lines of drift detection. Um, I, I particularly liked as a developer, right? Having those visual cues of maybe a lot of the security automation and scanners that SCSR was talking about, uh, sort of brought back into the development workflow. I know, you know, if you've worked with Git or GitHub or any or GitLab, you know, you've worked with sort of the, uh, you know, feature branch, you push, you, you you let your automation run, but to have the sort of workflows directly there to, to give you feedback on sort of the scanners and, and maybe what it picked up from a security point of view, you know, not every developer um, is going to be an expert in, in security, nor should they. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. I think we're shifting that way to, to allow developers to think that way, but you know, it's, it's hard to keep up in general with a, a single technology, <laughs> let alone oh, yeah. a whole field. So um, I really like that concept. So um, again, for anyone who's listening, um, we will make sure all the, the links and places that Cesar was talking about, as well as his Twitter handle, <laughs> uh, will be in the show notes and um, and you can find out where to find out more. Um, and we want to remind our listeners that, you know, that idea of <clears throat> uh, of sending us sort of a topic you're interested in. You know, again, if you want to record a little bit of about what you're working on or, or sort of a, a, a passion project, maybe mm-hmm. and send it to us. We're, we're still interested in putting this sort of community episode together. So we really encourage you to do so. Um, and, you know, uh, next episode, which is in a couple of weeks, is going to be our last of 2022, believe it or not. I know this um, has been a busy, busy season. Yeah, it's season two has been, you know, very long compared to season <laughs> one, uh, uh, which was, you know, we started halfway through the, yeah. the year with season one. So it makes sense. But uh, yeah, next episode will be our last. And we're going to take a brief break and then kick it off with a bunch of great guests uh, starting in January. So, um, you know, tune in to the last few episodes. And uh, with that... That is the end of today's episode. So I'm Ryan. I'm Pavan. And thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 